Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Medic Philosopher. I want you all to fast forward several years from today to a time when we have conscious artificial intelligence. Imagine machines that we have created to serve us as a society, but for one reason or another, be it deliberate or accidental, these machines have gained consciousness. To make things even more spooky, imagine our fellow AIs being anthropomorphic, or in other words, having human characteristics. In a sense, these machines resemble us in many ways. For those of you listening in the United Kingdom, Netflix has a great series called Humans, which brings pretty much this identical scenario to our screens. In summary, Humans tells the story of a world where humankind relies on synthetics to do many activities of daily living, even carry out jobs. The line of our relationships as humankind to these synthetics is blurred even further when some of these machines start to gain consciousness, being able to feel and reason like humans do. Now, I want you all to try and put yourselves in this utopia or dystopia, depending on your perspective, and think of this. Do these synthetics have rights and are these synthetics equal to us? Equality is an elusive term both to define and on occasions to defend. Take this as an example. If we assume that having a lot of money is a desirable trait, why should you, who have studied for years, done a PhD, worked three part-time jobs, etc., all to make just enough to invest and are now enjoying your hard-earned millions, why should you have the same wealth as someone who has not worked a single day in their life? But maybe to better understand the origins of inequality, we should try and understand the origins of mankind. And this is exactly what Jean-Jacques Rousseau proposes in his famous Discourse on Inequality, published in 1755. Rousseau was an eminent philosopher in the 18th century, whose ideas went on to influence the French Revolution. And although Rousseau grew up a true patriot, who showed respect to the magistrates at the time, he describes the Enlightenment as the destruction of man. To Rousseau, the Enlightenment is fatal and the utmost misery to the savage, as it torments him with passions and arguing about a state different from his own. To understand the origins of inequality to Rousseau, we need to go back to a primitive state in nature and understand the origins of the savage, or in other words, the non-civilized man. Quote, it is through studying man that we have rendered ourselves incapable of knowing him. End quote. Rousseau points that we prioritize our own well-being first, and second, we show compassion. He argues that we humans don't like seeing other sentient species suffer. But, but take this for example. Why are we kind to our neighbors? Or why is it acceptable for an animal to be slaughtered for whatever reason, but not for our neighbor to be slaughtered? Surely we are not kinder to our neighbor because they have the ability to reason, but rather because they are a sentient being. I had this discussion with a colleague of mine recently and he suggested that throughout the process of evolution, those who don't prioritize self-preservation simply didn't survive. In other words, in the words of Rousseau, indeed, we don't like seeing other species suffer, but this is especially true for our own kind. One of the key elements in self-preservation to Rousseau is pity. The human race would have ceased to exist if we only based our decisions on reason alone, yet the civilized man has no pity. I am sure those of you who listened to our last episode remember that Nietzsche described pity as an evil weakness, the ultimate sin and the last hurdle that one needs to overcome in becoming an overman. But let's hear Rousseau out here. To him, the Enlightenment brought vanity and envy, civilization corrupted man destroyed pity and killed equality. A savage's passions do not go beyond his physical needs, whereas a complex society brings us complex passions. Quote, 
the savage breathes only peace and freedom." End quote. Even the ataraxia of the Stoics is not enough to explain how little the savage cares towards every other object. Civilized man, on the contrary, is always restless in pursuit of even more laborious occupations, working himself to death and trying to prove a point over his peers. The savage lives within himself, while the social man lives outside of himself. I think what Rousseau is trying to say here is that savages didn't grow grey hairs. And this isn't because they didn't live long enough, but rather because of the way they lived, free of stress and in a state in which their passions aligned with their basic needs. Modern-day luxuries soften the body and mind, and the sorrow of losing them outweighs the happiness of possessing them. Rousseau goes further to say that the rich are happy because they value the things they enjoy only to the extent that the others are deprived of them. In other words, the rich would cease to be happy if the poor ceased to be miserable. A way I like to see it in today's world is the exclusivity or scarcity. Think about a designer bag or something vintage and very scarce. Much of the happiness possessing that derives in its acquisition, simply because not everyone can have it. Would you still value your Lamborghini as much as you do now if everyone had a Lamborghini instead of a bicycle? In the words of John Locke, where there is no property, there is no injury. And this is really food for thought here, as perhaps modern civilization has distorted our psychological compass and bred disorders like depression and anxiety. Quote, when we think of the good constitution of savages and reflect that they have almost no disorders except wounds and old age, we are almost prompted to believe that we could write the history of human illness by following the history of civilized societies. End quote. Rousseau goes on to compare the savage with wildlife and the civilized man with a domesticated pet. The pet is tame and is much less adaptable to the external environment. In the words of Nassim Taleb, by trying to suck out all the uncertainty of life, we become very fragile to any changes. Take the law of Sparta, for example. Fit children survive, while those who are a burden to the family die. Simply put, we live in a bubble, and when that bursts, it will not be fun. Ivan Illich also came up with some very interesting ideas on the matter. He talks about social iatrogenesis, presuming normal stages of life so that, for example, old age becomes geriatrics and brings rise to the Sisyphus syndrome, which suggests that the more healthcare offered to a population, the greater the demand becomes. Illich points out an even worse type of iatrogenesis, cultural iatrogenesis. A war against suffering, where we deny the inevitable in life, things like pain, things like death and treat them as malfunctions that require fixing. This quest for immortality and control not only denies the dynamism of life, but also alienates us fully from the savage and from our origins. The point we can appreciate is that humans are complex creatures, and have come a long way, whether that is in the right or wrong direction, and so one cannot help but wonder, is this why we fear intelligence in other species? Maybe we don't want to lose the crown of superiority we have over other animals. Perhaps the key distinguishing feature from animals is our ability to reason. Quote, Intellect depraves the senses. Man acts on free will, while beast acts on instinct alone. End quote. This, however, Rousseau tells us, is a double-edged sword. Humans have a unique ability to self-improve, which makes us slaves to our former self, and as we age, time denigrates us to something lower than a beast. The other thing that perhaps separates us from other animals is language. Rousseau offers a compelling conjecture on the origins of language, which is beyond the scope of this episode, but he does raise the language paradox. If we needed speech to learn how to think, then we also needed to be able to think to discover the art of speech. So what does this all have to do with conscious AI? 
In the Channel 4 series Humans, the easiest way to tell a synthetic from a human is gestures. However, nature has taught us that gesturing is not the best form of communication as it is not universally effective, it is useless in the dark, and it requires the other person's full attention. To compensate for this, humans often change their voice or their volume or tone. So one can argue that um, holding conscious AI inferior just because of a non-essential trait that's different from us is simply unfair. What about the master and the slave debate? Surely we made them, so we have power over them and so on. Well, think about your children for a moment. Would you feel the same way? Perhaps you would be protective of them until they reach an adult age, make decisions for them and advise them on life, etc, etc. If that's true, then why give any less autonomy to conscious AI? Maybe it's a matter of time, a matter of letting it dwell in our worlds long enough so that we can get used to the idea of symbiosis. But I want to hear your thoughts. What else makes AI inferior to us? And why should a birth from a woman's body have more of a right to life than an ingenious creation of the human imagination. And while the AI in the So Humans was made to serve humankind, servitude needs dependence. Conscious AI is much like Rousseau's savage. It does not need fellow humans to perform its basic operations and remain functional, or some might say, alive. And what I like most about the AI in the series is its perseverance to prove that it deserves its own rights, as Rousseau would support giving up liberty and life degrades our being, and no temporal goods could ever compensate for the loss, and thus this is an offence to nature. So what do you guys think? And most importantly, how would you treat anthropomorphic conscious AI? Rousseau concludes that artificial inequality, which is something non-existent in nature, derives from the progress of the human mind and becomes fixed and legitimized through property and laws. It is more of an introspection of human nature and societies rather than a comparison with other species. Borrowing and slightly changing a famous expression from uh, George Orwell's Animal Farm, one could say that in our modern societies, all humans are equal, but some humans are more equal than others. And while I know that we didn't talk much about the legal side of things, which forms the main body of the second part of Rousseau's discourse on equality, think about this for a second. How radical is it for someone to take a stand and express these views at a time when the Enlightenment seemed the blessing humankind was looking for? and hence the name. Voltaire actually wrote a letter to Rousseau, quote, one starts wanting to walk on all fours again after reading your book. However, in more than 60 years I have lost the habit, end quote. Rousseau is still to this day considered one of the fathers of Romanticism, a movement that revived interest in our human origins and sparked critical thinking towards scientific developments. Thank you for taking the time to tune in and I hope you found today's episode interesting and educational. Please leave your comments and thoughts on the book below and there is so much more to discuss. This is the Medic Philosopher, until next time.